إنما خالدين فيها فبئس مثوى المتكبرين وسيق الذين اتقوا ربهم وسيق الذين اتقوا ربهم إلى الجنة زمرا حتى إذا جاءوها حتى 
فتحت أبوابها وقال لهم خزنتها ألم يأتكم رسل منكم ألم يأتكم رسل منكم يتلون عليكم آيات ربكم وقال لهم خزنتها سلام عليكم طبتم فادخلوها خالدين وسيق الذين اتقوا ربهم إلى الجنة زمرا حتى إذا جاءوها وفتحت أبوابها وقال لهم خزنتها سلام عليكم طبتم فادخلوها خالدين وقالوا الحمد لله الذي صدقنا وعده وأورثنا الأرض نتبوأ من الجنة حيث نشاء فنعم أجر العاملين وترى الملائكة حافين من حول العرش يسبحون بحمد ربهم وقضي بينهم بالحق وقيل الحمد لله رب العالمين. اوكي الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته. الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين. Uh, alhamdulillah, the reciter was uh, none other than Khalid uh, Al-Jalil. Khalid Al-Jalil, and he's reciting the last ayats of Surah Al-Zumar, uh, Surah number 39 in the Qur'an. Very beautiful recitation, walillahi alhamd. I always like to begin my discussions with some recitation of the Qur'an, and this is especially true on Friday. Uh, this is the best day of the week. Um, alhamdulillah, we've all attended Jumu'ah or had some interaction or engagement with Jumu'ah this Friday, whether online or in person. And uh, we just want to kind of keep that energy going, keep that energy going. Okay, so uh, my discussion tonight, um, inshallah, will be uh, the 10 marriage commandments. This is a discussion that I gave before, uh, maybe a couple summers ago. Uh, but I decided to um, reopen that case and go over it again. It's always good to revisit information, especially information that we've covered before, uh, because it gives us an opportunity to process the information from a different perspective. If I gave this lecture two, two years ago, then covering it again, we've had a plethora of experiences since two summers ago. All right. We, we've had a lot of experiences. So hearing the information again allows us to apply the perspective that we have right now currently to the information that, you know, is being presented to us, inshallah ta'ala. So um, obviously uh, the introduction, I mean, the, 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 the title of the discussion doesn't need an introduction, the 10 marriage commandments. Basically, these are just 10 rules that I think that every couple should live by. So I'm going to start this week with the 10 marriage commandments that women can use. All right. And then next Friday, inshallah, or the Friday after, 
I'll do the 10 marriage commandments for men, the 10 marriage commandments that men, every man, every married man should use in their marriage. So I'll start with the women, all right? And these, these are pieces of advice, commandments, if you will, that women, inshallah ta'ala, can use in their marriage, marriages to help have help them have a better marital experience, all right? And this is coming from a man's perspective. This is a man basically telling you how to engage us speaking, I'm speaking on behalf of most of the men, most of the married men in the community, if they would give me the opportunity to speak on their behalf, inshallah. I'm speaking on behalf of the men in the community, basically addressing the women. This is the way that we want to be treated. All right. This is, we want you to follow these 10 commandments, inshallah, in your marriages to us and how you deal with us, inshallah. All right. So, We'll start from 10 and then we'll work our way down to one uh, by way of importance. All right. So we'll start with marriage commandment number 10. All right. So if you have non-Muslim friends um, who are married or in relationships, invite them to come listen because they can benefit from this as well. All right. And alhamdulillah, this is tied into our religion. So it's also an opportunity for them to get some da'wah, to get some information about Islam, all right? Go pull a friend, grab a friend. They need to tune in and listen, inshallah. Uh, and I'm saying that because I know a lot of you guys listen to Kevin Samuels, which I don't, I, I can't for the life of me, I don't understand why any woman would listen to him. I don't understand why any woman would listen to him. Um, very degrading, very demeaning, very disrespectful um, to women and obviously to black women, uh, on top of that, and yet and still, because many black women, you are, you guys are gluttons for pain. You go and you gravitate towards that type of, you know, low level, you know, low level thinking. Yeah, I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why a woman would, you know, degrade herself to go and listen to somebody who would further degrade her. All right, and the. It's, it's only black women, right? He would never talk like that to women from any other ethnicity. But at the same token, we just, we're gluttons for pain. We love pain. We think we've, we've been traumatized so much that we, be, we have normalized being in pain. We have normalized being in pain. We have normalized it so much so that this is what, this in type, this what, this is what, this generation of women have produced. You have, you guys have produced Kevin Samuels. You've produced him because he would have never been able to say the things that he's saying at a time when I was in my early 20s and the 90s. Like he would have never been able to, you know, he would have never been able to become popular in the 90s. Never. And so you guys, I mean, it speaks volumes to the type of environment that we live in, the type of atmosphere that have been, you know, what I mean, ha has been created so much so that they have produced an individual like this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we know from our Islamic tradition, that people get the leaders over them that they deserve. people get the leaders over them that they deserve. So if we live in a time where someone like Kevin Samuels could be created 
as a result of the way that women degrade themselves at this day and time, that he could become popular in this day and time. It speaks volumes to who we are as a people and how low we have stooped. Nonetheless, we'll start with number 10. Number 10 is knowledge is powerful, but, but respect is character. Knowledge is power, but respect is character. Pay attention. Anna Karina, she said, respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. Pay attention to that quote. Respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. Love is an emotion, right, that resides in the heart. Love is an emotion that resides in the heart. And just like every emotion in the heart that the heart carries, it fluctuates from time to time and from circumstance to circumstance. No one loves their spouse the same way all the time. No one, no one's faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the place of faith is, is the heart, the place of sincerity is the heart, right? Thank you. If somebody can, you know, itemize these. So you can, uh, can have them written down and then inshallah, you can post them after this is all done so that if, if anybody did not have a chance to write them down, inshallah, ta'ala, I, I, that would be much appreciated, inshallah. All right. So um, love is an emotion, just like sincerity is a feeling, sincerity is an emotion, um, faith, you know, is attached. These are all emotions or feelings that are connected to the heart. And anything that is connected to the heart is obviously going to fluctuate, right? Um, Sufyan Thodi, one of the great scholars of Islam, he said, "Ma aradtu shayin ashadda aliya min niyati, li'anha tataqallabu aliya." He said that I have never tried to, you know, concentrate on something that was more difficult for me than my intention, because it constantly turns. It's always turning, meaning my intention can never. I can never hone in on my intention and make it be the same all the time, all right? Our intentions fluctuate, right? Our intentions fluctuate. Our faith fluctuates. That's part of our belief system as Muslims. Al-Iman yazidu wa yankus, that faith goes up and down. You don't wake up every single day feeling the same level of faith. That's that's just comes along with the territory because it is in a place that is not stable. The heart is not stable. The word for heart in, this, in Arabic is called qalb. Qalb, qaf, lam, ba, qalb, which means to turn. Qallaba, yataqallabu, to change, to, to change, to turn, right? That's what the heart is called in Arabic, all right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, yuqallibu afidatuhum wa abasarahum kama lam yu'minu birhi awwalu marra that their hearts will turn and so will their eyes while they're in the hellfire. And just as they did not believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the first time, in the first place. So the heart, it turns. So any emotion that is connected to the heart is constantly, is going to fluctuate. No woman loves her husband the same way every single day, right? So the point that I'm making here is that love is an emotion that resides in the heart. And just like every emotion that resides in the heart, it fluctuates from time to time and from circumstance to circumstance. 
So love is not always going to remain the same. And therefore, in the absence of high levels of love, respect should always be the balance. You balance that out with respect. Although I don't love you like that today, I respect you always. So in the words of Anna Karina, she said, respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. So as a woman, you don't always love your husband the same way, but you should always respect him. Everybody agree with that? These are rules to apply to your marriage. You may not always love him the same way every single day, but respect should be the balance. In the absence of love, respect fills that void. Respect fills that place. All right. And obviously, if you can't respect him and you don't love him, then why in the world are you in a marriage with him? Yeah, it's over. <laughs> why are you in a marriage with him? All right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a reference in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking to the Muslim men, he said that if you dislike your wife or dislike something about your wife, then look then perhaps you hate a thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed an abundance of good in it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us here that despite a decrease in love, there is still good in the person. That perhaps you may dislike a thing and Allah has placed an abundance of good in it. So in the absence of love for the person, there is still good in the person, meaning um, you should still respect the person. All right. And what we have to understand is that love does not sustain a marriage. Love does not sustain a marriage. Some people say, well, I don't love him anymore. Right. Well, that's not necessarily a reason to leave a marriage because you don't love him anymore. All right. We all have gone through periods in our lives being married where we where we were not in love with the person. You might overall, you might love the person, but you're not in love with the person. And anybody who has been married, anybody who has been married for a substantial amount of time will tell you that throughout the time of your marriage, you have been in and out of love. In and out of love with your spouse from time to time. Anybody who has been married for a substantial amount of time can tell you that they have been in and out of love during the time that they have been married to that person. So love doesn't sustain a marriage, right? Marriage sustains love, especially Islamic marriages. Islamic marriages have, they are replete with rules, regulations, guidelines, right? All tied in to help preserve the love that is between two people. All to preserve the love that is between the people. So love does not sustain a marriage. Marriage actually sustains the love. All right. Umar there was one of uh, uh, one of the tabi'in, he was going to divorce his wife. And Umar he asked him, why are you going to divorce your wife? He said, because I don't love her anymore. I don't love her anymore. And Umar he said, He said, woe be to you. Are, are marriages, homes built on just love? Is a marriage built on just love? 
No, there are other factors to consider when you're talking about two people being together. It's not just love, all right? That's what movies and, and Disney, you know, cartoons, this is what this stuff teaches us. And it's a false sense of what relationships are actually built on. It's only giving you one side of the story. And that's like, oh, she fell out of love with him. She doesn't love him anymore. This is what, you know, these, you know, rom-coms and these movies and, you know, this is the, the picture that they're painting to the people that are watching them. But people who've been in real marriages, real relationships know that it's not just love that sustains the marriage. And so for women, as this advice is to you guys, you don't have to like your husband in that moment, but you do have to respect him. And if you can't respect him and you don't love him, then the question would be after that, why are you still with him? Because if there's no respect, if there's no love and no respect, then what else do you have? <laughs> what else do you have? So you don't have to like him in that moment as there's a very uh, famous saying that marriage is such that you wanna throw your spouse out the window and catch them before they hit the ground, right? Anybody who's been married long enough understands that metaphor. As sometimes you wanna throw your spouse out the window but then you want to catch them before they hit the ground, right? So you may not like your husband in that moment, but you do have to respect him. Even in the event of divorce, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us not to forget the shared experiences that we had between us, which creates genuine love and respect for the person despite the current separation between them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَنْسَ وَالْفَضْلَ بَيْنَكُمْ And don't forget, in the event of divorce, do not forget the shared experiences that went on between you. That even though you are separated from the person, you still love the person. Because you're thinking about all of the experiences that you've had with that person, that many of which have made you the person that you are today. Many of those experiences, right? When the Prophet وسلم, and this is the last point before we move on to the next one. When the Prophet وسلم, said to Aisha, pay attention to this uh, hadith. I don't think that we look at this hadith the way that we should, right? If you remember in the hadith when the Prophet وسلم, said to Aisha, he said, I know, inni la'alam if enti I know when you are pleased with me, I know when you're happy with me, and I know when you're angry with me, right? You remember this hadith? The Prophet ﷺ said to Aisha, I know when you're angry with me, and I know when you are pleased with me. Aisha said, how? Where did you arrive at this? How do you know this? Oh, so you know women now. So how did you figure this out? And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he said to her that when you are pleased with me, when you're happy with me, in your conversations with your friends, you say, Warabi Muhammad, I swear by the Lord of Muhammad. And when I hear you say that, I know that you're happy with me, right? I know that you're pleased with me. She said, but he said, but when you're angry with me in your conversations with your friends, you say, what up be Ibrahim? And I swear by the Lord of Ibrahim. And I can see, I can hear that you're angry with me because you're not mentioning my name. You're mentioning the name of another prophet. So that's how I know when you're angry with me and when you're upset with me. Listen to what Aisha said. She said, She said, yes, I am angry with you. And I do not mention your name, but that's the only thing that I do. 
You see that? She said, I only boycott your name, meaning I still give you your rights as my husband. I'm angry with you. I'm upset with you. The only thing that I avoid is saying your name. And for men, we have to give women that. Sometimes we don't want the woman to be angry at all. It's like, oh, you're in your feelings. Let her be in her feelings. She's entitled to that. Give her that. Don't try to control the feeling. That's not, that's not your job. As a man, if a woman is in her feelings, she's upset or she's angry or she's what, give her that. You're entitled to your feelings. I don't ever want to control your feelings. Those are your feelings. You are entitled to be mad, to be upset, to be angry, <laughs> right? Sometimes men, we might say to our wives, why are you angry? Are you serious right now? It's like, that's not your place. Leave her and her feelings. That, that, don't try to control that because nine times out of 10, she has no control over that. So how are you as a man going to try to control something that the one who is having the experience herself doesn't even have any control over? I'm not here to control your emotions. You're mad, you're angry. I have to sit in that discomfort. I have to sit in that. But I can't make you not angry just to make myself feel better, right? I have to sit in that discomfort. And as discomforting as that is as a man, we have to sit there. Uh, and eventually it will dissipate. Eventually it will disappear. Eventually she'll get past it. But for the time being, you got to sit in that. The whole house has to sit in that. Because when she's angry, everybody has to feel it. The children feel it, you feel it. It's not just, you know what I mean? Like as a man, you're not the only one feeling that. Everyone feels it. But eventually it will subside. But you, you have to just sit there for that moment, all right? All right, so the scholars explain that the reason that Aisha chose, this is something that we probably never thought about. Why did Aisha, out of all of the prophets and messengers, right, out of all of the prophets and messengers that Aisha could have chosen, why did she choose Prophet Ibrahim? Why did she say, I swear by the Lord of Ibrahim? Why didn't she say, I swear by the Lord of Musa? Or I swear by the Lord of Isa? Or I swear by the Lord of Prophet Hud? Or I swear by the Lord of Ismail? Or I swear by the Lord of Adam? Or be Adam? And I swear by the Lord of Adam. Why choose? Because this was contrived. She knew exactly what she was doing. <laughs> Sister Adrian said, even when I'm in my feelings, the kitchen is still open. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to still cook for you. You know, I'm going to still, you know, give you your rights. Although I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm angry with you. But I'm not going to deny you your hawk. I'm not going to deny you your rights. That's maturity. But the reason why the scholars say that she chose Prophet Ibrahim salam, out of all of the prophets is because what was Prophet Ibrahim's nickname? He was Abu al-Anbiya. He was the father of all the prophets and messengers. So when Aisha chose Prophet Ibrahim's name to swear by, in, in, in absence of the Prophet Sallallahu name, um, she chose his Ibrahim because she knew that Ibrahim was a prophet that Prophet Muhammad would never be jealous of. He's the father of the prophets and messengers. The Prophet would not take an offense to Aisha mentioning his name, right? And so women have to be mindful that in your moment of indifference or your moment of anger, that you don't resort to being disrespectful. Respect is about how you treat someone, right? 
Respect is about how you treat someone despite how you feel about them. Your feelings don't dictate your character. Islam does. Sisters, you hear me? Your feelings do not dictate your character. Islam does. So you are entitled to be angry and upset. The love might decrease, but the respect is always there. Got it? And if you can't respect him, then why are you with him? So knowledge is power, but respect is character. Number nine, everybody got number 10? Just as you got it. Number nine, remember that appreciation is the highest form of praise. Appreciation is the highest form of praise. We can learn a lot from the relationship that we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with respect to our relationship with our husband. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Rabbul Alameen. Allah is the Lord of the worlds. Your husband is Rabbul Bayt. Your husband is the Lord of the house. You understand? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Rabbul Alameen. Allah is Lord of the worlds. And your husband is Rabbul Bayt, is the father of the house, is the Lord of the house. Right? When Abraha, he attacked Mecca, right? He attacked Mecca twice. We're talking about the year of the elephant, right? The year of the elephant. When Abraha came from Yemen with his uh, with his um, his uh, elephants, right, to trample over the Kaaba, because he was going to build another Kaaba in Yemen and have everybody come to Yemen. So he brought the elephants to Mecca to destroy, to trample on top of the Kaaba. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Surah Tafil explaining that. But he came to Mecca the year before, all right, and he pillaged. He, you know, robbed, uh, you know, camels, took camels, took, took animals, took, you know, right? So Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet's grandfather, he went to Yemen. Because when Abraha came to Yemen, uh, came to Mecca, he pillaged and he took property he took things and from the things that he took he took camels that belonged to abdul muttalib abdul muttalib went from mecca to yemen to go confront abraham in the conversation between abraha and abdul muttalib abdul muttalib came to him and he said that you came to mecca you pillaged you took camels right that belonged to me so Abraha had said to Abdul Muttalib, he said, I have lost that you fell from my eyes. You fell from my eyes. You came all the way from Mecca to Yemen to confront me about some camels, and I'm on my way to Mecca to crush the Kaaba. Listen to what Abdul Muttalib said to him. Abdul Muttalib, he said, Allahu Rabbul, he said, Ana Rabbul Ibl, Wallahu Rabbul Kaaba. He said, I am the Lord of the camels, <laughs> meaning the camels you took are mine. I'm the Lord of the camels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Lord of the Kaaba. I'm not worried about the Kaaba. I'm not coming to confront you about attacking the Kaaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala got that. I'm coming to confront you about the camels that you took from me. You understand? I'm the Lord of the, of the camels. Allah is the Lord of the house. You understand? So, Number nine is remember that appreciation is the highest form of praise. 
that you can give to a man. The highest form of praise that you can give to a man is to show him that you appreciate him. So we can learn a lot from our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with respect to our relationship with one another in a relationship, or uh, in a marriage. Considering that human behavior is patternized. Human behavior is patternized, right? This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pinpoints all of our weaknesses in the Quran. The human being was created in, in, a, in a fretful state, in a weak state, <laughs> imbalanced. If some harm comes to him, he falls to pieces. If some good comes to him, he's arrogant, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that and the human being was created in haste. Human beings are hasty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many ayats are highlighting the human weakness. Human weakness. Because human behavior is patternized. Along the lines, many times, of ingratitude. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made gratitude an act of ibadah. Think about that for a moment. Human behavior is patternized along the lines of ingratitude. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made gratitude, shukr, a form of worship. If you could force yourself as a human being to show gratitude, then that is you going against your natural inclination to be in ungrateful. That is our nature, to be ungrateful. And gratitude, um, not only is it a divinely meritorious act of worship, it is the number one motivator for many men, simply because many men see their agency as men rooted in service. Many men see their agency as men, their ability to provide, their ability to protect, the ability to maintain. They see their agency rooted in service. So that means that as a woman, if you devalue or depreciate that service, then you are devaluing and depreciating him as a man. You understand that? I, I hope, women, I hope you got this, right? We talked about this. I kind of tapped on it a little bit in the khutbah. But, you know, I want to I drive it home. And the Prophet Wasallam said that he saw that the majority of the people in the hellfire were women. And the reason why is because you curse your husbands and you are ungrateful to them. So if men see their agency rooted in service and you devalue that service, then you are devaluing him as a man. If you tell a man, I promise you right now, those of you who are listening, wives that are listening right now, you turn to your husband right now and you said to your husband right now, honey, I appreciate you. Everything that you do for us, everything you do for the family, I so appreciate you. Watch how he lights up. I promise you. Watch how he lights up as a result of that. Brothers, you can pay me back later. You can pay me back in dua. You can pay me in dua. I'll take my payment in form of dua. Real talk. And even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that if you show gratitude to me, I'll give you more. 
You want your husband to do more for you? Show him appreciation. Sometimes verbal, sometimes physical, but show him that you appreciate him. Show him that you appreciate him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wala in la that if you show gratitude to me, I will give you more. Wallahi, if you think that your husband is complacent, you think that your husband is not doing living up to his full potential, you think that your husband can do so much more, show him gratitude. It's a motivator. I promise you. A lot of times men stop with the acts of service because they felt like it wasn't being reciprocated in the form of appreciation and thanks. If you don't believe me, ask your husband. Ask your husband, why did he stop bringing home flowers? Why did he stop kissing you when he walked through the door? Why did he stop doing this? Or why did he stop doing that? Ask him why. Ask him, is it because perhaps I didn't show appreciation enough for what, you know, when you were doing it? Anybody can get, anybody would feel like that, that I'm doing this, doing that, doing this and doing that, and it's not being reciprocated in the form of appreciation. Eventually, the person says, well, they don't appreciate it, so I'm not doing it. So women have to remember that they have an innate disposition, a predisposition to ingratitude, <laughs> right? And, you know, to be dismissive will cause a man to withdraw his acts of service, deeming you to be unworthy. Deeming you to be unworthy. You understand? If you don't believe me, ask your husband. I tell you no, ask me the truth. Ask me and I tell you no lies. Yeah. A man will withdraw his acts of service because he will feel like you are unworthy or he will continue to give, albeit reluctantly, while increasing in his resentment of you. So one of two things happens. Either he withdraws his acts of service, feeling like you are unworthy of it, you don't deserve it, or he will continue doing his acts of service reluctantly, but he will resent you. If you don't believe me, ask your husband. If you think that your husband resents you right now, you're sitting here as a woman listening to this, and you believe that your husband has some latent resentment, has some type of resentment towards you, I can guarantee you that a lot of it has to deal has to do with him providing for you and doing these acts of service for you, but feeling like he is underappreciated. And he continues to do it because that's just who he is. He continues to do it because that's the nature of who he is. Because he sees his agency as a man rooted in the service that he provides for his family. So he does that reluctantly, but he resents you for it. Because he knows that you don't appreciate it. Or you do appreciate it, you just have a piss poor way of showing it. You just have a poor way of expressing your gratitude. And the thing is, is that sometimes he may feel like, you know, doing his acts of service is, is forced due to the fact that it is not being received with appreciation and acknowledgement. So it feels like a task. It feels like a job 
you know, so his acts of service that that went from just something natural that he does to now something that he forces himself to do because he feels like it's not appreciated. So learn how to speak the language of gratitude into the culture of your relationship. Every relationship has a culture. Wouldn't it be better that he communicate that? How many men are good communicators? Men are workers, men are doers. I mean, you have a very few, a small percentage of men who know how to communicate. But since when are men the best communicators? When? That's not an excuse. A person that does for you and does for you and does for you should not have to ask you to be grateful. You understand? That's a deflect, that's a deflection. That's a deflection. When somebody constantly does for you, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have to ask you for gratitude? When you are not showing gratitude to Allah for what he has done for you, you feel it because you're like, dang, Allah is blessing me with so much. I need to do more. I need to do better. Do you understand? You feel it. You feel the inadequacy. You feel the inadequacy in, in terms of your gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You, Allah doesn't have to send down revelation to you to tell you to be more grateful. You feel it because you start to recognize all of the blessings that Allah is giving you. You understand? So why, likewise, should your husband have to communicate to you, hey, babe, I think you should show me a little bit more appreciation. That might even come off, you know, misogynistic. That might even come off a little arrogant. You know what I mean? Like, why does a husband have to tell his wife you know, babe, I think you should show me a little bit more appreciation. That's something you say in a heated argument. <laughs> well, if you started showing me a little bit more appreciation, maybe I would do more, right? And then of course you're gonna retort with, you know, well, why do I have to show you more appreciation for you to do more? You should just do it. If that's, if that's sincere and that's coming from the heart, then you should just do it. You see how that works? You see how you counter that with something that you know, and this is one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withdraws his barakah from your relationship. Allah withdraws his barakah from your marriage. Because keep in mind, our relationship with one another is an extension of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So nine times out of 10, if you are showing ingratitude to your husband, nine times out of 10, the same ingratitude is being extended to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's just your nature. You're just an ungrateful person. That's just your nature. The Prophet ﷺ, did he not say, La yashkurullah men la yashkurinnas? He who does not think people has not thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Did he not say that? No man should have to tell you to show me a little bit more appreciation. That is that is a language that is already, that's an unspoken word. But my point is learn how to speak gratitude, the language of gratitude into the culture of your relationship. Every marriage, every relationship has a culture. Does it not? Every marriage, every relationship has a culture. There's some men who open the doors for their wives. There's some men who greet their wives with kisses when they walk through the door. That's just standard in their marriage. There's some men who don't allow their wives to even pull out their bank card. That's standard in their marriage. My wife don't pay for nothing, right? There's some men who get out and pump the gas for their wife, right? That's standard in their marriage. My wife don't pump no gas. 
unless she's by herself. But if I'm in the car, I pump the gas. I pay for the gas. My wife don't pay for nothing. We go out for dinner. Ain't no let's split it. You pay for the dessert. I pay for this. No, I pay for everything. My wife don't pull out her bank card at all. Period. That's that's the culture of their relationship. Speak the language of gratitude into the culture of your relationship. Every relationship has a culture that is replete with a language and behaviors that are familiar to those that are involved in the relationship. Learn the language of gratitude, such as saying, baby, thank you. But something is small, like your, your, your husband, you know, your shoes was in front of the door. He took your shoes and he put them on the rack, right? And you walk past the, the walkway, you see your shoes are not there. Thanks, babe, for putting my shoes on the rack. You guys are eating in the bedroom. Your husband grabs his plate, takes your plate, goes downstairs, puts your stuff in the kitchen. Thanks, babe. I appreciate that. You understand? Speak the language of gratitude into your into your the culture of your, your marriage. Saying thank you for the small things. That's an acknowledgement. You understand? Thank you. Saying, I appreciate that. Thank you. And know that, you know, your relationship with one another is an extension of your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody got that? Sisters, you got that? And I mean, this is just a reminder. Some of you are probably very good at doing this. So all I'm saying, what I'm saying is just a reminder. The reminder benefits the be believer, right? And remind, for indeed the reminder benefits, benefits the believer. So this is just, for some, it's just a reminder. And the reminder benefits. We all get loose. We all get lax in certain things, in certain regards, you know? All right, so number eight. All right, number eight. Do create a closeness to your spouse by putting distance between you. Create a closeness between you and your spouse by putting distance between you. It sounds oxymoronic. It sounds like an oxymoron. How do you draw somebody close by putting distance between you, right? How do you draw someone close by putting distance between you? People oftentimes, especially women, you guys oftentimes misconstrue closeness for love. You oftentimes misconstrue closeness for love. But in a man's world, absence makes the hearts grow fonder, while familiarity breeds contempt. You guys, follow me. Sisters, this is for you guys. This is for you guys. Do create closeness through distance. Even one of the 48 laws of power is to create a desire for yourself through scarcity. That if you are around all the time, people never miss you, eventually they will get tired. You will wear out your welcome. They will wear out your welcome. You will wear out your, your welcome. But when you disappear for a little bit, people start to desire your presence. You haven't showed up at family gatherings. At every family gathering, you there. <laughs> you there. You the first one there. <laughs> People are like, oh, when they see you coming, oh my God, he, this guy's here, right? But you haven't been to family barbecue 
you haven't been to a family gathering, you know, in a year or two, people wondering where you at, you know, then when you finally pop up, <laughs> you that guy or you that girl because people haven't seen you in a while. And so you create a desire for yourself through scarcity, right? Because absence makes the heart grow fonder. And that's even in relationships. Did you guys know that? And I know some women, some of your love language is, you know, quality time. You want to be up under your husband. You want to be up under your man all the time. Men don't like that. Some men, some men, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be nice today. <laughs> we, we had, a, we had a, a, a word for men who did that in Jahiliya, but I'm, I'm going to leave it there. But <laughs> most, many men don't like being up under a woman 24-7. Right. They need their space. They need their space. You guys on Instagram, I'm very sorry, but Instagram is going to cut off in a few. So you guys can either go over to Facebook Live or you can join the Zoom. All right. Uh, well, the Zoom is actually for Messiah Roll the members. But you guys can go over to Facebook Live. So I'm going to I'm going to shut the Instagram off. Uh, in about five minutes because my phone is dying. I, you know, from Jumwa to home, um, I wasn't able to charge my phone enough. All right, and um, unfortunately, this phone, this phone right here, the second phone, it, it burns out very quickly. So uh, in about five minutes, you guys have to either go over to Facebook or, inshallah, you can catch the rest of it when I upload it to YouTube, inshallah. All right. The Facebook live feed is on Shadid Muhammad slash roll the admin on Facebook, inshallah. Okay. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, while familiarity breeds contempt. You ever been around your husband for, you know, he maybe he's not at work or he's, you know, for whatever reason, he's at home more than he usually is. Right. And then, you know, there's little bickering, little arguing, little here, little stuff here and there. All right. And then for he goes to work or he works in long hours or whatever the case may be. Or this I know this happens a lot in polygyny as well. All right. With women who are married to men who have multiple wives, um, you might be there for whatever, you know, for whatever, for however long he's there. And then when he leaves, you're missing him. And then when he comes back, you know. You're like, I'm, I'm glad to see you again. It's like when he's there and he's there for too long, it's like, oh, you got to go. I need space. And then when he's gone, you're missing him. You're texting him. You know, I miss you, whatever the case may be. And then when he comes back, it's like it's, re, it's invigorated, reinvigorated. You know, it, it's just like that. You know, absence makes the hearts grow fonder. And this is especially true for men. All right. And when you think about it, when the Prophet Sallallahu when he boycotted his wives, right? <laughs> there has to be some trusting when he's not there. That's a whole nother conversation. Please don't bring that in. We, we're talking, this is grown folk conversation. We're not talking about somebody being gone and going to do something haram. That Those loopholes that you guys, as I said before, you keep throwing in there, that stuff is foreign to me. You guys bring situations and scenarios in, and I'm just like, who does that? <laughs> Whose husband goes away and you don't trust him? And, and I mean, like, 
I'm sorry, that's not my experience. So you guys be bringing a dark cloud over my, right, the dysfunction. You, you bringing that dysfunction into my lectures. I'm sorry, that's, that's not my experience. And those are not the people that I include in my conversations. Please don't bring that there. <laughs> if you can't trust your husband and he's going, you know, then I'm sorry. That's beyond, that's, that's above me now, right? That, that conversation is above me. We're talking about God-fearing, pious, righteous Muslims who do the right thing all the time, inshallah. That, that's, and here again, I'm speaking that into fruition. We constantly keep looking for the loopholes and throwing all of these negative examples out there, then we're gonna always be at this lower level, this low tier of thinking. But if we're constantly thinking on a higher level, you know what I'm saying? And putting you know, high level information out there, those type of things will disappear. They will disappear, inshallah. Somebody said you got the wrong husband. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. When you think back to the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ boycotted his wives, right? He, he boycotted his wives, right, for a month. When he finished the boycott, right, the boycott ended being 29 days because the month, that particular month was 29 days. When the Prophet ﷺ began his rotation between his wives, he started with Aisha, right? So he's boycotted his wives for an entire month. Then he starts back his rotation, starting with Aisha. When he walks into Aisha's house, Aisha says to him, I thought that uh, you were boycotting us for a month. And the Prophet said, I did, but it just so happens that this month, lunar month, was 29 days. What did Aisha say? She said, Inni la a'lam. She said, I know exactly how many days this month was because I was counting them one day after another. You understand? Absence makes the, the hearts grow fonder. She said, I know how many days it was. She said, I was counting them every single day. Every day you're gone. I missed you. You understand? Absence makes the hearts grow fonder. All right. So distance typically decreases the emotional intensity. Sometimes when husband and wife are in the same space for too long, the emotions, it's 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 overstimulation of emotions. Right? Men, I, I wish that there was a group of men on here that I could talk to because they know exactly what I'm talking about. Women, sometimes you may not see yourselves in those spaces, so you may not necessarily understand what I'm talking about. For men, they, they totally understand. It's an, it's an overload of stimulation, emotional stimulation, when you and your spouse are in the same space all the time, right? And there's no distance between you, no space in between you, right? So this emotional intensity, and as it's, you know, typically, you know, it decreases when there's distance between them, it typically decreases as it is contrary to uh, the involved or the intimate perspective typically of emotions. This is why we are encouraged to leave the area or the environment of conflict because the intensity of the emotion, right, the, in, the intensity of the emotion, right, 
of anger, hostility that has the propensity to escalate the situation beyond the point uh, where it becomes physically violent, right? And this is why the Prophet Sallallahu when he saw two men in a heated argument, what did he say? He said that I know a word that if they were to say it, or I know something that if they were to do it, it would stop the anger that is between them for them to say, and to separate themselves from that space. So even when we're angry, even in a heated argument or a heated environment, we have to separate because of the intensity of the emotion, of anger, of hostility. You understand? Very important. So even in, the, even in times of anger and frustration and hostility and volatility, it has the propensity to escalate if two people stay in the same place. But if you separate, it gives you time to, you know, kind of let those emotions go. And then you can kind of come back and talk because now the, the intensity has decreased. You understand? Very important. Uh, I mean, they, they are, believe it or not, uh, long distance relationships actually last longer, <laughs> believe it or not what are called long distance or commuter relationships that involve people who, although challenged by challenged geographically by proximity, these relationships are usually very helpful, meaningful and fulfilling because much of the contributing factors to this is the fact that they are, there's distance between them, right? Anybody ever been in a long-term marriage? That maybe you and your spouse were separated for a particular period of time due to work, due to education, or whatever the case may be. Think about your relationship at that time. Although you were challenged in terms of proximity and geographical location, but the intensity of the emotions and the feelings, you understand? So, um, and then it also gave you a time for your own personal growth and development, you know? Um, so they, you know, people who have long-term, long-distance relationships, they don't usually rely on one another for the validation or acceptance, right? Or, you know, they don't usually rely on each other for that because of the distance that is between them. So they're, you know, in relationships where two people are closely connected to one another, there's usually a lot of codependency. Do you guys know that? When husband and wife are in the same space all the time, it creates some time of codependency. And that codependency sometimes does not allow the person, either one of the two people in the relationship to pursue their own individual ambitions because of the codependency. Because you're always around each other. So it creates a familiarity, it creates a codependency, and the person can never get out of that space. Every time he grabs the keys and you know, it's leaving, she's grabbing her coat. And it's like, can I just go out and get some coffee by myself? Right? Can I run to the mall and just window shop, walk around the wall by myself without you? Can I, you know, can I go do something by myself without you? Well, you got along, you've been married for 22 years and you get along just fine. Okay, well, you're an exception to the rule. All these people that are agreeing to what I'm saying, it, this is not, not a coincidence. So you are an exception to the rule. There's some people who, as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, 
There are some souls that are like conscripted soldiers. You guys were united before your souls were actually occupying the bodies that are here. So. <laughs> But the, the point that I'm making is that, you know, when you are around each other all the time, sometimes it creates a codependency, all right? And that can be very dangerous, all right? Because it won't allow people to pursue their own individual growth without the involvement of the other person, all right? That becomes very dangerous, right? Little space and never hurt anybody, absolutely. Therefore, long-term intimacy in a healthy marriage or healthy relationship requires each partner to maintain their own sense of self-worth and personal autonomy. Maintain your own sense of self-worth. We had a whole chutzpah about that today. Maintain your own sense of self-worth and personal autonomy while remaining in close contact with your spouse. So it's like you're within and without. That's a healthy relationship. You're within and without. You're within because you are part of a marriage, you're part of a team, but you're without because you also have your own individual passions and you all have your own individual ambitions and you also have to focus on your own growth and development while being married to this person. So you have to be within and without at the same time. And you, know, you have to find your niche. Some people, it takes you a while before you kind of get to that point, you know, and sometimes even men, men can be very codependent sometimes as well. They can't function without you, you know, they can't function without you. All right. So give your husband his own limited personal space. LPS, all right. We even we even come up with a uh, we even come up with a term for it. Give your husband his own LPS, his limited personal space. Limited is the operative phrase here. <laughs> all right, limited in terms of proximity as well as in terms of the people that he's spending his time with as well. All right, but men need that. Men need that, all right? Absence diminishes mediocre, mediocre passions and it increases great ones. Absence diminishes mediocre passions and it increases great ones as the wind extinguishes candles and fans and fires. As the wind extinguishes candles and fans, fires. So a wind can blow and it can put out a fire Right, it can it can put out the candle, but it also fans the fire. It also gives the flat fire the intensity to grow. So our relationships have to get to a point where it is satisfaction, where its satisfaction is derived from calmness rather than excitement. And the only and only then will we uh, learn that being around each other all the time will have an effect, a healthy effect on our relationships. Right. When your relationship, when being together, right, the satisfaction of your relationship is derived from the calmness of the relationship rather than the excitement of the relationship. Everybody got that? Little distance. Give your husband his own limited personal space. All right. 
You may even arrange something for him. You know, hey, I, I booked you this, or I, I know you need some time. The kids, the the you know the the pattern of you know uh, of getting up, going to work every day. You might tell your husband, listen, I booked you a room at a hotel. Like you can just go <laughs> take your video game with you, or whatever the case may be. Um, I bought you a foot massager. You can take your foot massager, your video game. And you can go stay there for the night. No kids, no nothing. You don't have to hear anything. I got the kids, go. You don't think that men, we need that? You don't think that we need that? You think that we're robots, machines? Just get up and go to work every day, pay bills, get, go, get up, go to work, run to the store, pay bills, and, and that's all, that's it? Hook this up for me, fix this around the house, mow the lawn, mow the backyard, put gas in my car, clean my car, go to work the next day, the kids need this, you gotta run to the store and do that. I mean, do you think that, no, we're not talking about wives right now. We're talking about husbands. Today is husband's day. We're not talking about wives. We ain't talking about what women need. We're talking about what men need. We are your better half. And a lot of the relationship rides on, the, the is predicated on, on the man, a lot of it. You guys have to stop diminishing that and stop dismissing that as if, you know, to say, and that's not to put anything, put the woman down. Obviously, we know that you are the entire relationship. You are the backbone of the relationship. Nobody is taking that away from you. But let me ask you a question right now. If your husband died today, Allah forbid, something happened to your husband right now today, how much of that would you be able to carry on your own? I mean, obviously you would have no other choice, but keep in mind that the presence of your husband makes your job a lot easier. Two people running a household can get more accomplished than one person doing. Or you don't even have to book him a hotel. You can take the kids and go to your mother's house. You can take the kids you know, and go out and you go out and leave the husband home. No kids, no nothing. I personally cannot remember the last time that I have been home, my home, either one of my homes, by myself. No kids, no wife, no nothing, just me. I probably would not know what to do. I'm being honest with you. I probably would not even know what to do. I don't even know what that feels like. Just being home, me by myself, nobody else here. She took the kids and, and went somewhere and did something. <laughs> I don't even know what that feels like. What is that? And that that's not a fault on the woman. It's just a reminder that sometimes we need that. Men need that. It's it's very important that men have that because we need to we need to reboot. Even after your wife is gone for <laughs> even after your wife is gone for like five, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you like texting her like, babe, where's this at? Where's that at? Because in most instances, the woman is the one who manages the whole the home. I don't know what's in my kitchen. I don't even go in the kitchen. I don't have to go in the kitchen because anything I need is, is given to me. So I don't even know where stuff is at in my own kitchens, honestly. I don't. 
I don't even know where stuff is. So if she's gone for 20 minutes and I need to get something from the kitchen, I'm going to be calling in the next 20, 30 minutes anyway. Babe, where's this at? Or where's that at? You know, so I mean, you know, even if the woman is gone and leaves the man home, she's not going to be gone, but for so long before he's calling, asking for some assistance with something. You know, but the point that I'm making is that as men, we need that. We need that. Right? It's husband's day. No, every day should be husband's day. It's just how you manage it, <laughs> how it's going to be managed on this particular day or that day. Right? All right. We ready for number seven? Number seven. I mean, I don't know. Sisters, is, is this good stuff? I'm sure for the brothers, they like, finally, Brother Shadid is standing up for the men, standing up for the brothers, finally, right? Because I catch I catch it from the brothers because they always think that I'm here for the sisters and I'm always, you know, cutting into them and leaning in on them, which I am. I'm, I'm very hard on the men uh, because I know that they can handle it. I know that the men can handle it and I'm merciful with the sisters. I, I give it to the sisters as well, but... You know, I'm merciful because you are not like us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And the male is not like the female. Right? The male is not like the female. So for the women, I do give it to you. I give you the business, but it's it's different the way that I come at you. A lot of brothers feel like, oh, you know, he always caters to the sisters. And, you know, he's hard on the brothers and he lean in on the brothers very hard. And I do. I do. Because you're men and you can handle it. We are men. Because when I'm talking to the men, I'm talking to myself as well. That doesn't exclude me from that. <laughs> she said, my husband would definitely agree and say, yes, he is finally. MashaAllah. <laughs> All right. So good stuff. All right, you guys on uh, Instagram, I'm sorry, but I got to cut you off or we're going to lose the live. We're going to lose it. I'm down to like 7%. So I probably got about another three or four minutes, another five minutes that I can give you as maximum. Five minutes max, inshallah. Okay, so number seven, listen to understand not to respond. That's a big one. Listen to understand not to respond. Sisters, this is advice. This is advice for you. I'm trying to save marriages. They say that a leader is a dealer in hope. A leader is a dealer in hope. As a leader, you are selling people hope. You're selling people hope. I'm selling you hope right now that these things can help improve our marriage. And, and they can, they can, and they will if we apply them, inshallah. But you know, I'm 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 trying to, you know, I'm trying to save our marriages, I'm trying to save our communities, you know. So listen to understand, not to respond. Men, much like women, want to know that they have been understood, right? And sometimes, as they say, men are from Mars, 
and women are from Venus. And as being from Mars, this phrase or this statement kind of reinforces the stereotype that we are somehow genetically deficient. All right. And it causes women to be very dismissive. Some women are very dismissive when their husbands start talking, oh, whatever, like, you know, like he don't know what he's talking about. He's somehow an imbecile. He is somehow an invalid. He's somehow, you know, incapable of telling you and explaining to you what, what he needs in that moment. How many of you women, and I mean, you can raise your hand. This is a rhetorical question, but if you choose to self-disclose, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to knock you for that. But how many of you cut your husbands off while they're talking? How many of you have a bad habit of cutting your husband off while he's talking to you? I see some hands going up. No judgment. I just I just want to know that I'm I'm not crazy. All right. Because sometimes people be like, I don't do that. Nope. I listen to my husband 100 percent. I let him get it all out and then uh, like knock it off. Knock it off. Stop it. Some of y'all, y'all be it, it, some of some of the stuff that comes out of people's mouths be unrealistic. Right? <laughs> Knock it off, stop it. So you never cut your husband off. You never stop him in the middle of his sentence. Like stop it. Knock it off. Man. Okay. So the thing is, the thing you have to ask yourself as a woman when you do that. Sometimes. In doing that, the message that is being pushed out into the world, especially amongst black men, especially if as a woman, you are an educator, you are somebody who puts emphasis or you're a reader, you're an educator, you put emphasis on enunciation, you put emphasis on, you know, articulation and your husband, maybe not so. So when he speaks, he speaks from his heart. But it's not coming out the way that, you know, maybe in your professional field, the people that you're used to dealing with, right? If you're a woman and you're in a professional world and you're around professional people all the time and you're speaking a certain way around people because this is the environment, your work environment, right? Especially if you're a teacher, right? If you're a teacher, this could probably very be very dangerous for you as a teacher because you may look at your, your husband as if he's one of your students. How many husbands have had to say to their wives, I am not one of your students. Stop talking to me. Like, stop psychoanalyzing me. God forbid she's a, a, a clinician of some sort. And it's just like, I am not one of your clients. I'm not one of your students. Stop talking to me like that. And it comes off as if we are somehow innately deficient and inadequate and incapable of articulating ourselves and what we need. And sometimes you have to stop and listen to what the person is saying, because most of what your husband is trying to convey to you is not coming out of his words, it's coming out of his silence. It's coming out of what he is not saying. You're, list you're not even listening to what he is saying. So I know you can't hear what he's not saying. You understand? You're not even listening. <laughs> you're not even listening to what he is saying, much less what he's not saying. 
Most of what a person is conveying to you in a conversation is in the silence of the conversation, right? So meaning the person is speaking, but then you got to look at what's behind what they're saying. You got to listen intently. You got to listen closely to see what they are not saying. Because that's the, that's the real conversation. It's the conversation within the conversation that you are not hearing because you're not even listening to the conversation, if that makes sense. You're not even listening to the action, what the, you're not even listening to the words that are coming out of his mouth, much less what is behind the words that are coming out of his mouth. It's just dismissive. It's dismissive. Sometimes, listen, yes, you got to understand that your, your husband, your husband was once the same little boy who ran circles around his mother. Got it. Men run game all the time. We omit, we exaggerate, you know, because we're trying to get what we need from this woman. We did it to our mothers, and sometimes we find ourselves doing it to our wives. But you as a woman, you have home court advantage. You are a woman. You have home court advantage. Slow the conversation down for a little bit. Say, honey, do me a favor. Repeat what you just said. You ask him to repeat again, right? This is exactly what they do in uh interrogations right this is what they do in interrogations they make you repeat it maybe two or three four or five times because they're looking for the loophole they're looking for what you are really saying but if you let a person talk long enough they'll tell you everything that you need to know but if you're not listening to what the person is saying because you think you got it all figured out you'll never hear the real message you'll never hear the message within the message Some women just will never figure this out. You'll never get it. All you have to do is slow it down a little bit. Babe, do me a favor. Repeat that for me again. Well, I was saying, but blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, oh, okay. All right. I see what you're saying. So, and then, so as to not make the man feel inadequate, so as to not make him feel like he's stupid, repeat back to him what you think he's saying. So let me, let me make sure that I understand what you're saying. So you're saying, well, X, Y, and Z. And then he might say, exactly. All right, I got you. You understand? That's how conversations go. Or you might say, well, let me, let me, let me make sure that I'm understanding you correctly. So you're saying X, Y, Z. And he might say, no, that's not what I'm saying. See, you're missing what I'm saying. Okay, all right, say it to me again. Say it to me again, because I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to understand. That's listening to understand, not to respond. Right, you're too busy projecting. You're too busy deflecting, especially if you feel like you're the one, you know, on the chopping block. So, IG, I have to cut you guys off. Please go over to Facebook Live, inshallah, for the rest of the conversation, inshallah. I'm really sorry that I had to do that. The way my phone is set up. Okay, perhaps it'll charge up. My charger is very quick, so perhaps it'll charge up before we actually conclude.
Okay, so men are from Mars sometimes and our choice of words may not always come out the best or in the most healthy way. But it is imperative that as a woman that you acknowledge the man's sentiment, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. See, the thing that we confuse is agreeing with what somebody is saying and validating the feeling that is behind it. We confuse the two. We think that the only time that we have to validate what the person is saying is when we agree with them. We do it on social media all the time. Well, I don't agree with this because uh, it's just like, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with it. Hello, what if I told you you didn't have to agree? What if I told you you didn't have to agree? It's a perspective, <laughs> you understand? Unless I say Allah said, his messenger says, anything other than that is a perspective. I come across perspectives all day long, Muslim, not Muslim. I don't ever leave a message or a comment under anybody's post, whether I agree with it or don't agree with it. I don't have to tell the person, I don't agree with this. It's a perspective. It's not written in gold. It's not written, you know, it's not the truth and nothing but the truth. You understand? But sometimes we feel like we have to, you know, I don't agree with this. And because you don't agree, you lose sight, right? You lose sight of the validation of the emotion that is behind it. When men speak, sometimes we don't necessarily speak to convey emotions. That's how women communicate. You guys communicate to connect. We communicate to solve problems. But just because we communicate to solve problems does not mean that there's not an emotion behind the words that we are choosing. Dua is the only thing that will protect your marriage from fitna? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, dua is not the only thing that will protect your marriage from fitna. Sorry. If that was the case, then many of our marriages would have been protected from fitna because we all make dua. So you mean to tell me that none of our du'as were married, were, were answered? I think you might want to rephrase that. I think I get what you're trying to say, but it is not the, the, the sole factor that protects your marriage from fitna. Sometimes fitna is warranted. Allah says that we have made some of you a fitna for others. Won't you be patient? So sometimes the fitna is necessary because it helps develop tolerance, patience, and all of the other qualities that we would not get had we not been tested with this. So I'm sorry, I totally understand your point, but um, I disagree, <laughs> right? The, the point that I'm making is that we don't, you know, when a man is trying to convey something to you, it, it sometimes takes us a while to, you know, muster up the words and to try to find the right words to say what we need to say, especially if we are constantly feeling, we are constantly at war with you as our wives. We're constantly at war, meaning every time I bring something to you, it turns into an argument. So it's like, I got to armor up. I got to put on my armor and I got to put on my, my gear before I even come to you. And then when I bring it to you, you find a way to shoot me down. You find a way to over talk me. You cut me off. 
you know, you cut me off mid-sentence, you, you know, over-talk me, you're talking louder than me, you're, you, you start becoming emotional, you start crying, and, and now it becomes all about you. So I was the one who initially brought the conversation to you, and you just controlled, you just took the conversation from me, you turned the situation around, and now I'm somehow on the, the receiving end, the victimizer end of this discussion. It's just like, how did that even happen? I was the one who brought it to you. And then I turned around the bad guy. How does that even happen? You got to stop doing that. That's toxic behavior. You don't have to agree with what your husband is saying to validate the feeling that he's bringing to you. Understanding someone's perspective and agreeing with them have nothing to do with each other. You can understand a person's perspective and not agree with it. Can you imagine what a man would feel being in a relationship with a woman who only acknowledged his sentiment when he agreed with hers? Can you imagine what being in a relationship with a woman like that would be like? Can you imagine what it would be like for a man to be in a relationship with a woman, to be married to a woman who only acknowledges his sentiment, his feelings, when she agrees with what he's presenting? We would be statutory invalids. <laughs> we would be statutory invalids. So, you know, some women, some of you guys, you run circles around your men, right, within the confines of your marriage. The poor guy has no one to turn to because he has been shammed into believing that asking for help makes him look weak, right? As men, we've been this, this stigma of going outside of our marriage and asking for help makes us appear weak. So we stay in the marriage and the woman is just running circles around. He's always wrong. He's always inaccurate. He's always this. He's always that. And the woman, she's just on, on her hamster wheel to perfection. MashaAllah. She's running circles around him. Poor guy doesn't have anybody to turn to because he doesn't scare to go outside his marriage because he doesn't want to look weak. And stays in his marriage and can't get his wife to give him just a few moments to actually hear him out without deflecting, without projecting, without you know being defensive, without being dismissive. Right? You guys gotta stop doing that. You're destroying him. You are destroying him. You are destroying him. Now it's not hard to implement. When you realize that you are hurting the person that you love, eventually you'll stop. Because that's a sign of healthy love. A sign of healthy love is that you don't hurt the person that you love. You don't hurt the person that you love. When you realize that this is what you are doing, if your husband comes to you tonight, Tomorrow, after hearing this live, the sad thing about it is that the men who probably need to hear this are not listening because they don't take from Shadid Muhammad. And that's fine. But the sad thing about it is that everything that I'm saying, you need to hear right now. But if your husband came to you today or tomorrow and said to you everything that the brother said, that's exactly how I've been feeling. 
He doesn't have the words to articulate to you what he's experiencing. But here I am articulating it, and all he needs to do is say everything that the brother said, he was 100% correct. And in that moment, as a woman, you turn to your husband and you say to him, damn, do I do that? I'm so sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it took for this situation to happen before you realized that that's what you were doing to him. Alhamdulillah, we start wherever we are. Maybe you weren't aware of it. Maybe you didn't know. But once it's brought to your attention at that point, it's like, all right, I feel horrible that I've been doing this to you. All right, let me be more cognizant. Let me be more, you know, let me be more aware of that. So from now on, you know, when you bring something to me, I, I need to just kind of sit in that discomfort for the moment to hear you out completely, to hear you out without judgment, without projecting, without deflecting, without dismissing. Just hear him out. All right. So So, and sometimes, you know, crying and, you know, appealing to a person, it makes the man seem weak, right? When the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sick, right? you remember when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was sick and he told Aisha to go tell Abu Bakr to lead the Salat, right? He told Aisha, go tell Abu Bakr, I said, lead the Salat. And Aisha, what did she say? Does anybody remember this hadith? What did Aisha retort with? What did she say? Let me see who remembers the hadith. Right. She says, oh, he cries too much. And when he cries, nobody will be able to hear the Salat. Go let somebody, let Umar, let somebody else lead the Salat. And the Prophet Wasallam said, no, tell Abu Bakr I said lead the Salat. Because the reason why he wanted Abu Bakr to lead the Salat was for a greater reason than just, you know, leading the Salat. That was the Prophet Wasallam's way of saying that Abu Bakr was going to be the next Khalifa. You understand? That's one of the things that the scholars used to show that the Prophet ﷺ, although he did not say anyone was the Khalifa after him, anyone was the leader of the Muslims after him, but we have indications. He shout out. We have indicators, and this is one of the indicators. Abu Bakr cries too much, and no one is going to hear the Quran over his incessant weeping. So right here in this moment, we can clearly see how things play out in many marriages. The husband expresses his opinion on or about something and is met with the woman's logical response, right? The Prophet ﷺ said, tell Abu Bakr to leave the Salat. Aisha said, oh, he's, you know, he cries and people can't hear the Salat when he's reciting and things like that. Let Umar leave the Salat. You inserting your logic, you understand? Here it is, the Prophet is giving you a clear command, and you come back that with your own logic. And that's what happens in many marriages. Facts. That's exactly what happens in many marriages. The husband expresses his opinion on something or about something, and his opinion is met with your logical response, which sometimes comes off as very dismissive. Aisha didn't even offer the Prophet ﷺ a reason why. She never even said, why should he lead the Salat, O Messenger of Allah? She never even gave him an opportunity to express his why. She just immediately inserts her logic. How many of you women do that? Your husband expressed something 
and you immediately insert your logic. You never ask why. You never try to get a deeper understanding. Absolutely. Some of you do it all the time, all the time, without an exception. Aisha didn't even offer the Prophet an opportunity to explain why. She said, let Umar lead the Salat. Not, well, why do you think Abu Bakr should lead the Salat? You understand? Totally disregarding the deeper implication behind the Prophet's request, which was that Abu Bakr was going to be the Khalifa after his demise. And him leading the Salat while the Prophet was there, it, it spoke volumes to the position that the Prophet was holding Abu Bakr to. Aisha saw it as a decision to lead the prayer while the Prophet was making a subtle innuendo of him becoming the Khalifa after him. Men communicate to solve problems rather than connecting emotionally. We, we, we communicate for, you know, to make connections, to solve the problems. But that doesn't mean that in communicating in that way that, you know, there's not an emotion behind it. So be mindful of being dismissive. Listen to understand, not to respond. I want you guys to train yourself to do that. The man might say, yes, because I said so. That's because he he's now frustrated at the point that you're combating you know, his request with your own logic. Sometimes you get to a point where it's like, because I said so, that's why. All right, and, and leave it at that. And it's not because I said so. I'm just using that as my trump card because you're pressing me. You understand? I, I do it sometimes too. If I'm pressed, any man does because I said so. All right, that's the end of the conversation. Nothing else to talk about. And I mean, there's a deeper why behind it, but you constantly keep pressing me because I can never request something. I can never ask for something and it's just done. You have to insert your logic to combat what I'm asking. Listen to understand, not to respond. And then if... Now, he gives a request, something that you don't agree with, then ask, hey, can I, can I ask you something? Can I say something? Um, can I give you my perspective? He might say, yeah, sure, go for it. He said, well, I don't think that that's a good idea because of X, Y, Z. Now you're communicating. This is what's called effective communication. Right, and it's not that you're, you're second questioning his leadership, very good. Men like to feel that they are in that position ship to, to lead. Right, absolutely. At the end, can there be a summary of all 10? <laughs> you want to summarize them? No, you guys do the summarization. I, I, I mean, like, I'm going to borrow time here, man. I still got to, you know, we're still working, you know, towards Isha and dinner and, you know, like, it's not easy to, to cut, cut into my time and, and to to give you guys a lecture. That's not easy. We're not even going to, I don't even think that we're going to get through the whole, the whole 10. Nonetheless. All right. Everybody done with number seven? So can we get a rundown of, of the first four? What were the first four so far? Let me see if you guys got them. Knowledge is power, but respect is character. Appreciation is the highest form of praise. What was it? Let me see. 
create closeness through distance. And the last one is listen to understand, not to respond. Very good. Okay. All right. Number six. I'm a I'm a breeze through this because I don't I don't conversation is a little touchy, but it's necessary. Number number six to women. I hope you guys are paying attention. Learn how to leverage your tin. Learn how to leverage your tin. Hope you guys are paying attention. Does anybody know what that means? Learn how to leverage your tin. Sex, sexual intimacy, not just sex, intimacy, all right? Sexual intimacy. Sex, when you just use it like that, it's just like the physical aspect. When you say sexual intimacy, because intimacy have different levels. There's emotional intimacy, there's physical intimacy, there's sexual intimacy, mental intimacy. All right, so there's different levels to intimacy, but when you just use the word sex, it just shows the physical aspect of a man and a woman, husband and wife, you know, doing the physical aspect of it. But the in, when you insert intimacy into that, then you're adding a whole nother layer of that whole experience, right? It's a completely different experience, right? Because now there's emotions involved, you know, there's emotional stimulation, there's other forms of stimulation. It's not just the physical aspect, all right? Sex the actual act of sex is more mental and emotional than it is physical. It's more mental and emotional than it is physical, nonetheless. Um, but sexual intimacy has a one to 10 dynamic. Men might not understand that. Men might not think that, but for women, you guys already know that, right? I'm, I'm hoping that most women listening, you guys already know that. All right, sexual intimacy has a one to 10 dynamic that you, women, you control. You control, right? Right or wrong, you guys control. It's Friday night. All right, sky's the limit. <laughs> However, if the man hasn't done something remarkable during the week, he might not be able to get 10. <laughs> he might not be able to get 10. But let's just say your husband paid your car note. He went and filled your car up, got some gas, got it cleaned. You didn't even ask him to do it, right? This is all before he came home. Before, you know, you're at home. He takes your car, go gets the oil changed, go gets the car clean, fills it up with gas, runs to the grocery store. He comes back home. You're like, I don't even know what I'm cooking for dinner. What do you want for dinner? It's like, don't worry about it. I paid for dinner. I already ordered it. DoorDash is on its way. And she's like, what? You, you paid for dinner? Oh, and I got the oil changed in your car and I filled your gas tank up. She's like, what? Like, oh, you, you working for 10 tonight, huh? He's like, absolutely. I want 10 tonight, right? The kids, you know, at grandma's house, it's nothing stopping us from going to 10 tonight. Right? He's working for his 10 and you control the 10. You control that dynamic. Learn how to leverage that. Learn how to leverage. So sexual intimacy has a one to 10 dynamic that you control, right? Your 10 should be 
to get what you want and not just the norm. If sexual intimacy is at 10 all the time, then when can you leverage your 10? Because that's now the standard in your sex life. So when you really need something from your husband, you know, you can't leverage the 10 or you really want to show him, you want to really want to thank him. You really want to show your appreciation to him. You really can't show it because 10 is the standard. You know, you don't start off with 10, you know, and the same thing. And let me just give the sisters, let me give you guys a, a little tip. You get married, right? When you get married, you don't start off at the beginning of your marriage with 10. Because if you start off at 10, then the only way to go is down or to exceed the 10 and end up doing something that's haram. You understand? Don't ever show him your whole hand from the beginning. You don't ever do that. You, got, you guys follow me. I'm telling you as a man, don't do that. You're setting yourself up for failure because if you, the first night you get married, second night, and then you give him 10 at that point and you start off like that, then there's nowhere to go from there other than to exceed the 10 and venture over into something that is haram or it can start to decrease. You understand? <laughs> No, women don't always have control because when the husband is upset at the wife, tends to boycott the wife. See, we're not talking about those type of situations. And even if a man boycotts his wife, nobody boycotts sexual intimacy. Any man who boycotts sexual intimacy in my book is, is lacking in a few things, intellect being one of them. I mean, like, I don't understand how you boycott. I, I wouldn't care how mad I am if... Sexual intimacy, an offer is made of sexual intimacy. I ain't never turning that down. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. You know? I'm sorry. I, I don't know what man does that. Do you boycott sexual intimacy too? Where they do that at? Like what, where is weird, right? Thank you. Weird is the word that I'm looking for. Who does that? Who does that? He's probably impotent. <laughs> La ilaha illallah. I, I'm sorry. That's. Man, listen. Brother said he too tired. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop there. If I keep going. I'm... All right. Moving right along. MRA. Right. So if the woman works to please him at 10 all the time, it will eventually lose its value and not be seen as a 10 anymore. All right. It becomes now the norm. It's just like, oh, I want to do this for you tonight. It's like, yeah, we just did that last night. You ain't got nothing else. No more tricks in the bag. Like, that's it. You understand? So it loses its value. Anytime you do something too much, it loses its value. A 10 should be, you know, and that's the, you know, the holy grail of sexual intimacy, right? That should be not, that's, that shouldn't be all the time, right? In the story of Umm Sulaim, the son that she had with Abu Talha died. 
And she did not want anybody to tell him but her, if you remember. All right. I wrote an entire, right, a one trick, one trick pony. <laughs> right. So if you remember the story of Um Sulaim, right? Um Sulaim, the mother of Anas ibn Malik, right? So, Imam, you're saying that we should start off low and increase gradually? Not necessarily start off low. I mean, make it a pleasurable experience, but it doesn't have to be all that you got in that moment. You understand? It doesn't, it, you're not going to pull out all the stops, you know what I'm saying, in that moment. I'm not saying that the experience shouldn't be pleasurable. The experience shouldn't be something that he desires more of. It should be that. But you shouldn't pull out all of the stops, you know, every single time. You understand what I'm saying? I, I hope that makes any sense. I hope that makes sense. So in the story of Um Sulaim, the mother of Anas ibn Malik, anhu, um, she had a son by Abu Talha, and the son died. And Um Sulaim didn't want anybody to tell Abu Talha Right, when he came home, right, if you remember the story, right? Pay attention to the story. Her, his son died, he's out and about. She said, don't anybody tell Abu Talha about the death of his son until I tell him first. Let me be the one to break the news to him, right? Let me be the one to break the news to him, right? Is this not better than Kevin Samuels? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't even want to compare myself to him. I don't even want to compare the, the, the level of information that you guys are getting, you know, extracted from the sources of, you know, information that we have. Right, Kevin who? Right, exactly. I mean, like, you can, a man can communicate to women about how to be better women to their men without degrading them, without humiliating them, without making them feel like they're trash, like they're less than, you know, like you don't have to talk to women like that, and and I, I would hope that you guys please don't don't give him that level of of attention. And if women call in, I think some of that stuff is contrived. I think some of it is scripted. That's my own personal take on it because it's I'm I just really find it hard to believe that a woman would actually intentionally call in to be degraded in public in front of everybody. And maybe they do. I, I'm maybe I'm just you know. I live in la-la land, but I just, for the life of me, I can't understand why a Muslim woman would even give somebody like that the time of day, especially when you have options. I could see if he was the only man on the planet giving advice to women, but when you, especially when you can draw from Islamic sources, why would that ever even be an option? Why would that ever even be an option? Anyway, so Um Sulaim, she said to her family, um, don't anybody tell Abu Talha when he come home about the death of his son. Let me be the one to break the news to her because a woman knows her husband and she knows what needs to be applied, what level of pressure needs to be applied, when to apply it, how to apply it when she's bringing bad news to her husband. And you women, you guys know that better than anybody. You know how your husband is going to react. You can envision it in your mind even before he gets home. I know how my husband is going to react when he gets home. You know what I mean? I know what he's going to say. I can see his facial expression. I can hear his voice. Right? I can hear all of that. So there's nobody who can break bad news to, their, uh, to her husband other than a woman. She knows best how to bring this information 
So sometimes children, especially children that can't hold water, they want to run to the door. Daddy, guess what happened? Guess what Muhammad did? Guess what Abdullah did? He brought, you know, the kid wants to bring it in a way where only a kid can bring it. But the mom has a way of saying, no, nah, that's not really what happened. So let me explain. And she has now she's in control of the conversation. All right. You guys have so much power. You understand? Women, you guys have so much power if you only learn how to leverage it, how to hone in on that power and how to leverage it so that it makes the situation. Men, we are not complicated. Hence the fact we're from Mars. We're not complicated at all. We're very easy to figure out. And once you figure us out, we work like clocks. We work like clockwork. It's very simple. I, it's only a, it's a lot of young women who struggling in their marriage trying to, you know, you know, trying to meet your husband head on. You can't meet him head on. You got to be wise. You got to be smart. You got to figure him out. He didn't come with instructions. But once you create the manual, once you create the instruction manual, your husband will work like any toy with a battery in it. You just got to learn how to leverage your, your power. Understand it. And it actually works better for us once you learn learn who we are and how we work. It works out better for us. <laughs> because those are usually the women that men stay with. Because you took the time out to figure me out. <laughs> those are usually the women that men stay with. But the women who are constantly, you know, fighting and trying to bump heads and trying to be the leader and trying to, you know, wrestle her way to the top. Those are the men that those are the women that men run away from because you are approaching him as you see, I said mistakenly, those are the men because you are giving off masculine energy and a man doesn't like to be in, in fights. We fighting all day long when the moment we leave out our house, when we come home, we want to be the king. I want to take my crown off. I don't have to come home. Rah, rah, rah. I'm the king. Everybody in my house know that I'm the king and I, I'm giving that on GP. I don't have to argue and wrestle and fight with nobody. She already knows what I like. She knows how I like it. She knows how I like my coffee. She knows how I like my lasagna. She knows how you know I like this. So she knows how I like that. I, I don't have to explain anything. She got it all figured out. Right? Men, you ever been to a family gathering with your wife? Right? And one of your family members like, oh, you can go in the kitchen, get your plate. And as a man, you're like, go in the kitchen, get my plate? What you talking about? My wife is already texting me. She in the kitchen. She's scoping the whole kitchen out. Babe, they got potato salad in here. They got, you know, corn on the cob, but I, I don't know if it's organic. They got this, they got that. And you texting her back like, yeah, let me get a little bit of that. Put a little bit of that on the plate. Yep, I want some of that. Boom, boom, boom. You don't have to do nothing. You understand? Go in the kitchen and get my plate? What? What? My, my wife knows me. She knows the moment we get, we give eye contact. Like, babe, it's time to go. Let's roll. I'm texting like, yo, did you get a piece of the cake? Did you get the pie? Did you get the, what you call it? Yeah, I got it. It's all wrapped up. Let's go. All right, we out. All right, everybody. It was good seeing you guys. You know, till next time. And we out. You understand? We function like a team. When we go into family meetings, family gatherings, family cookouts, whatever, we are already planning out before we get there. You understand? It's already, we are already planning in the car. We tell the kids, y'all better eat all y'all gonna eat because we're not cooking when we get home. This is your lunch and your dinner. <laughs> we're not cooking. Your mother is not cooking when we get home. Babe, 
I need you when you get in the kitchen. I need you to, you know, give me the rundown what they got. I got you. Say less. I got you. You already know. I already know how we do. Got it. You understand? She get there. We sitting down. She's in the kitchen already scoping out. All right, they got this. They got that. Nah, I ain't getting. Them. He ain't gonna eat that. I'm not giving him none of that. She already knows you. You understand? She already knows you. She knows what I want. She don't have to ask me, do you want any of this or you want any of that? The corn doesn't look like it's organic. The chicken looks okay, looks fine, but I think you probably won't want the salmon. So I got you the salmon. I didn't get the chicken. I don't know where they got the chicken from, especially if this is non-Muslims, right? Non-Muslim family members, the, the gatherings. She already knows. These are the type of women that men stay with because they ain't got to hand you a manual to explain to you how to work me. You understand? He doesn't have to give you a manual of how to work him. Please take this as a tip. I'm giving you guys this for free. Badash. <laughs> I'm giving you this for free. This is free game. So in the story of Um Sulaim, when he came home, what does she do? What does she do when he came home? Did she give him the norm treatment that he gets every single day? No, this was a different situation. His son just died. So she got to calm the, the, the beast, right? So what did she do? She cooked for him. She beautified herself for him. And she, she had sexual intimacy with him as the narration mentioned. Do you think the sexual intimacy that Um Sulaim had with Abu Talha that night was similar to the sexual relations that she had with him any other night? Do you think that that was the same? No, she was leveraging her tin. He got all the extras. Why? Because she was about to convey to him some sad news. And she had to make sure that he was in the right frame of mind to receive it in the right way. But I'm almost positive that she did not engage him sexually the way that she did any other night, because this was not any other situation. That's what I mean by learning how to leverage your tin. Right. And the, the strength of the woman, exactly. Great point, Kim. Great point. The level of strength that this woman had to muster up, because what woman wants to be intimate with her husband? What woman is thinking about intimacy when her she just lost a child? But she's thinking about her husband. This is the man of the home, the man of the family. I can't have this guy run out angry, upset, swinging his sword and go out and hurt somebody or hurt himself. I can't have that. So I got to make sure that the way that this information is conveyed to him, it has to be carefully calculated which meant that she had to put some of her own feelings to the side in order to be able to convey this information to her husband. SubhanAllah, man. Such a profound situation, man. And then she turns to him after being intimate with him, and she says, oh, Abu Talha, what do you think of a, a household that loaned another household something, and then they came back to collect it? Would the household that was loaned the particular item have the right to deny the person when they ask for it back? And Abu Talha said, no. How are you going to deny something when they loaned it to you, and you went to collect it? How are they going to deny you? He said, she said, well, then make reservations because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took your son. I, I, Make reservations. Allah gave you your son on loan. 
And Allah came to take it back, take him back. Can't deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He loaned it to you. He loaned this child to you. And he came to collect. Make reservations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took your son. SubhanAllah. And even though he was angry and he was upset, he went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he explained, you know, my, my wife was intimate with me and then told me that my son and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to Abu Talha, he said, were you and your wife intimate last night? And Abu Talha said, yes. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala bless you guys with more children. And they gave birth. I think the narration mentioned that she gave birth to at least 13 more children, 11 more children after that situation because of the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She gave birth to 11 more children after that because of the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You understand? Powerful, man. So we can't say to what degree her level of intimacy was, uh, but we do know that she was intimate with him and she leveraged it to tell him what she needed to tell him. And we'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala. So, um, I mean, just, you know, just be, be mindful that women, you, you are more powerful than you think you are. And you have more power in your situation with your spouse than you think you do. Any young woman who's recently married, young, inexperienced, and you're still trying to, you're going through the motions, still trying to figure out how to get this marriage to, you know, a point where you guys are healthy and comfortable in this situation, you know, go over these, these pointers again and go over it again and again until you master them. I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even have left the first point. The first point was enough within itself. I give you five pointers, more than five. If you dig deeply, deeply, deeper into the things that we discussed, there was probably more, you know what I mean? There was probably way more than five, but just five pointers, five pointers that if you begin implementing, inshallah, it will give you some leverage in your, in your marriage. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to, you know, get emails and see people having these horrible experiences with marriage simply because they're just inexperienced. That's, that's the difference. The difference between an experienced couple and an inexperienced couple is not the absence of problems. It's the absence of solutions to those problems. An experienced couple, been around the block before, been married for a while, they know how to deal with problems when they arise. Inexperienced couple, when problems arise, they're ready to head for the hills. They're ready to separate. They're ready to divorce. This ain't working. Uh, I made a mistake. And it's just like, no, you didn't make a mistake. Perhaps you're just lacking tools in your toolbox. Perhaps you're just lacking tools. So, inshallah, uh, hopefully next Friday, uh, or the, uh, next Friday, inshallah, or the Friday after, uh, we'll cover the rest of this, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakumallahu khairan. Uh, I don't know if you guys have um, got like 10 minutes before Salat um, al uh, if you guys have any questions or comments about what was presented. This was so much more beneficial than the standard be patient sister. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of of be patient sister.
I don't come from that school. Alhamdulillah. So the next time that we come on live, I want you guys to give me some of your experiences that Brother Imam, I went back and I implemented number 10. I implemented this one. I implemented that one. And it, it does work. It does work. It does work. I applied this. I used that. I used this on this occasion. And it does work. If any of the brothers are listening, I want you know you to be able to communicate to me and say, Brother Imam, my wife kind of took your advice and alhamdulillah, you know, she implemented this or implemented that and it and it works. And it works. You know, and like I said, it's you know, for some of you it's just a reminder, but the reminder benefits the believer. It's very, very important. That, you know, every now and again, we are reminded of our duties and responsibilities to enhance the qualities of our marital experience. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is powerful. All right. You guys have been great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. Wassalamu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salama tasnibim kathira wa akhiru da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I will upload it to YouTube either tonight or tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala. I'll make the link available to everybody once it's uploaded, inshallah.